So how will you know when you're living the complete life? How will you know when you're living the complete life? What will it look like? Who will you be? What relationships will you share? I think it's a hard question to answer. I know it is for me, especially from the waiting room. You, you know the one I'm talking about, the waiting room with chairs lining the perimeter of the room and a, a beautiful ficus tree in the corner, the soft music relaxing you, calming you a bit. It's a place that's comfortable for a little while, but the longer you sit, the more difficult it becomes to sit there, to stay there. It's hard to see and discern what it might like, be like beyond the waiting room. And so as you sit there waiting, you start to contemplate and imagine and dream about this complete life. You start to really evaluate that question, but it's still difficult. It's still hard to think about what healing really looks like. Because you see this life on the other side. And this life that you see is one that we might describe as blessed, right? Like you're healed, you're complete, you're whole. And this blessed life starts to look like wealth, maybe. This blessed life starts to look like a life where you're completely debt-free, right? No more student loans. It looks like a life where you're friended and you're liked, no matter what your comment is. It looks like a life where you have occupational security. You know what you want to do with your life. Your life is on a course. It's in a direction. It looks like a life maybe where you're just dating, like someone's interested in being with you and hanging out with you and sharing time with you. It looks like a life where you're spiritual, right? You seem to have all these things in that portion of your being in order. You know who God is, and you know what he wants from you. And it seems like those questions that you used to have about that area of your life have faded and waned. It looks like a life, ultimately, where you're loved, right? Maybe even married. Jesus says, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. All those things sound well and good. But when I hear them, I don't necessarily hear the complete life, at least not the life that I imagine from the waiting room, right? Like those things sound okay, those things seem difficult to aspire to. And especially if I were to hear those words in this world, in this time, and in this place. I wonder if Jesus were to continue, if he would say something like this to us. Blessed are those with student loan debt. Blessed are those who are uninsured. Blessed are those who are overweight. Blessed are those who don't know what they want to do with their life. Blessed are those who are unfriended and unfollowed. Blessed are those who are single. Especially on Sundays, right? Like, did you know there's a thing called Lonely Sundays? 
It may not be something that you've actually turned, but it's something you've probably lived. You've been there when the weekend activities start to wane and pass. And you find yourself wondering what it is that you're going to do. And so you start to think up things that may cause you to actually bump into someone or interact with someone. And so you know the run, even though you hate to exercise, that you're going to take in hopes that someone might just bump into you, that you might see someone that you're familiar with, or someone might pause and stop and share in conversation with you. You know where you want to walk your dog so that you're likely to see other people walking their dog. You know how to time that load of laundry so perfectly that you won't be the only one there doing laundry. You know what time it's best to go buy groceries, right? You don't want to go too early. You don't want to go too late. You want to go at the right time so that it's nice and crowded. You might even complain a little bit at how crowded it is, but really deep down it's something, something that gives you contact. You know what it's like to search, to search through and try to find another series on Netflix that you haven't watched three times already, only to discover that there's nothing new on Netflix. And sometimes you sneak into a church. And it's not that you really want to sneak into a church, but you sneak because you don't want to be reminded again that you came there alone. But you come hoping someone will notice. Someone will invite you to lunch. Even if you can't go, you just want the invitation. You want to, you want to be noticed. You don't want to be alone anymore. And some of you will even serve in the church in order to find contact. And it's sad to me that this is the case, but most of you find yourself serving, and I, I don't want to comment against the babysitting activity that's coming up soon, but most of you find yourself serving in children's ministry even though that's not your gift, it's not your desire, it's not in your heart, but it's a place where you know that you're needed, and so you respond to that. And Sundays look a lot like that for you, maybe. Until, until at some point, it doesn't work. You're still lonely. Without even thinking, you find your thumb swiping. And the more you swipe, the lonelier you feel. And darkness starts to set in. You maybe try to update your profile, but it never works. It, it, it's sad to say, but church hasn't always been a safe place to be single. And I just want to pause for a moment. And if you'll grant me space and room and grace and recognizing that I, Daniel Clayton, am not responsible for this, I want to apologize to you that it hasn't been that way. That sometimes you come to church expecting family and what you find often is loneliness and more reminders that you don't fit maybe or you don't seem to belong. And these reminders aren't necessarily intentional. I think people mean well, right? You've had that conversation that starts with, hey, how are you? Where are you from? Who are you with? Right? And you have to say, I'm, I'm here by myself. And, and people want to welcome you, and they want to be inviting. But sometimes after that initial contact, they move on, and they find someone else. And you're still there, surrounded by people, but yet still alone. 
Some of you are made to feel more alone by dating-oriented young adult ministries, right? It's like people start to gather, and they gather in hopes of uh, probability, right, in their favor. <laughs> and so they look for a ministry that seems to suit the best probability rather than one that, that maybe God is calling them to or leading them to. Some of you uh, are reminded at church that isn't the safest place for singles because of bad bad sermons. And I don't think that's always the intent. It's just the way that things work out. And some of you are reminded by scripture, right, that you are single. For example, some of you have been Psalm 37 forward to death. Psalm 37 forward goes like this. Delight in the Lord, right? And he will give you what? The desires of your heart, right? You've been told that over and over and over again. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you've been told that so much, yet you have this strong desire and you've had so much delight. You begin to question, is this statement true? Or, or maybe you've been told that in such a way that you start to say that like this. Lord, take delight in the desires of my heart, even though that's not necessarily what that text says. And so, for whatever reason, these lies, these false narratives, right, start to surface. They start to come up, and we start to question, maybe, maybe I haven't delighted enough in the Lord. Maybe I haven't put forth the effort that I needed to do in my life. Maybe there's sin that's creeping into me. And we start to let that hold us back and capture our spirit and our imagination Maybe you start to believe the lie that there's something wrong with you, that you are flawed in some way, whether that's a physical attribute or a character flaw or a personality difficulty that you have. Maybe you start to believe the lie that your standards are too high to find someone to date or to marry or to just hang out with. Maybe you believe the lie that it's better to be single than risk having the broken marriage that you grew up in or near. The lies, they, they drown out the truth of Jesus' words that singleness, singleness is a blessing. Singleness is a blessing. All right, we're going to look at his healing words from Matthew chapter 19, if you have your Bible. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And verse 1 is hard to read if you want to discover what it looks like to be blessed in the single life. But Jesus gets there pretty quickly. In verse 1, he says this, when, when Matthew, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. So what's going on here is there are two groups of Pharisees, we think. There's actually some conservative Pharisees. This sounds familiar. There's some conservative Pharisees, and then there are some liberal Pharisees. And they're debating the scriptures with one another, and they're trying to trap Jesus into their debate so that he aligns himself with a particular position, a liberal position or a conservative position. And so they start reading Moses' words from Deuteronomy to Jesus and say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then Jesus says, haven't, 
haven't you read, which I just love, it's so good, he's pointing out that they haven't, they haven't read, yet they're trying to make an argument from Scripture to the one who spoke Scripture, and he says this, that at the beginning, so he says, go back a few books, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So they're trying to justify their position in desiring to divorce, right? And the reason and grounds in which divorce is acceptable. And Jesus says, the activity of divorce goes against God's creative acting in the world. How can you separate one person from itself? You can't. That's impossible. And so... Verse 7, why then, they asked, did Moses command, they keep pressing, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And so they go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, in those first few verses, and they say that Moses said, you can give a divorce to someone. And Jesus responds, even though I think what Moses said was to provide justice for people, uh, Jesus responds in a way that elevates the nature of marriage, and it elevates the way in which justice and love are to be enacted in this. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so he just raises the standard. He raises the bar. He starts to go after their hearts and what they're trying to pursue. And this is the, the beautiful part of the story, the, the part I love. These disciples, they're hearing Jesus speak to the Pharisees this way, and they see the tensions, and they say, man, man, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's, it's like better not to marry at all, Right? And they say these words, and we hear these words, and we say, that seems like a true thing. But I think when they say these words, they don't actually intend for them to be true. I don't think that they could conceive of a world where a man would not desire to be married in some way. And that's what makes Jesus' response to that so awesome. So they're answering in hyperbole, in exaggeration, it sounds like you're saying it's better to be single. And then Jesus says this. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Right? So he says, what I'm about to say to you is hard. It's so hard that not everyone will be able to embrace it fully. And then he says this. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now what's so crazy is he starts talking about eunuchs. Does anyone know what place a eunuch had in the Jewish world? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. It's nasty. You don't want to be a eunuch. It's no good. Leviticus chapters 22, 23, they talk about how bad it is to be a eunuch. You do not, as a eunuch, have access to God, even if you inadvertently become a eunuch. It's just a bad thing. There's no measure of grace to allow you to have access to God for this physical condition that you have. They don't exist 
in the Jewish world. Does anyone know what the promise made to Abraham was? God promises Abraham two things. He says, you're going to have descendants that number the stars, and you're going to have land, right? Now, what's crazy about that is you couldn't have land without actually having descendants whenever God's people move into the promised land. So in order to live out what God has promised to Abraham as a people, you have to have descendants. You have to have offspring. You can't even just accept this inheritance that may have been your family land that you were supposed to get anyway if you don't have children. And so in the world where accepting the promise of God and living in his favor meant that you had descendants, it meant that you had a family, to be a eunuch was a horrible, horrible thing. There were eunuchs, right? Uh, but these eunuchs were pagans. Th these were the people that would whoop and yell boomer, right? You know what I'm saying? That, like, they're those people. Like, you just didn't have those people around. They were bad. No one, no one wants to be a eunuch. And yet, sorry, I'm sorry, Karen. <laughs> that's, that's good. Thanks. <laughs> that's awesome. Yet, Jesus says, Jesus says this. He says, this is a difficult teaching, right? Not everyone can hear it. But if you find yourself in this place where you can live this life for the sake of the kingdom, you should. He says, to be single is to be blessed. Tonight, I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that at your core. Don't hear singleness as a disease that you have to be cured from. Don't hear marriage as a disease that you have to be cured from, especially don't tell my wife, right, that I even talked about how important it is to be single and how much of a blessing it can be. Because marriage is the same, but you see the teaching is this, is that blessing doesn't come from circumstances. Blessing comes from the one who says, your life is complete. And so I want to offer you some prescriptions tonight. I want you to hear the voice of the one who says, to be single is to be blessed. I want you to hear that louder than any other voice that you hear in our culture, whether that is our broader culture or whether that's our church culture. I want you to hear the one that says, you are my son or you are my daughter. And that's enough. You're loved. You're loved just for being, not because of anything that you've done, not because your circumstances are worse or not because your circumstances are better. You're just loved. You are and you're loved. I want you to listen to that voice and I want you to surround yourself with people that help you hear that voice. I want you to let the church be your family, right? Jesus starts talking about family in new ways and there are ways that are really hard for Jewish people to understand. And John chapter 3 starts talking to Nicodemus about being born again. And Nicodemus, the good Jew that he is, he says, like, how am I going to re-enter the womb? Like, that doesn't make sense. And Jesus is like, you're not, right? But you're born of water. And so he's talking about spiritual birth. He's talking about something new that redefines the nature of what it means to be a family member. Paul's going to talk later in, in the book of Corinthians that you've had all these others come along, but I'm your father, your spiritual father. I'm the one who's helped you as a church begin and start 
and become who you are. Jesus talks about hating your father and mother in order to be a disciple, which sounds like really harsh and difficult for us, but it calls us to recognize that the nature of family in the kingdom has changed. So I want you to let the church be your family. Now, I know that the church isn't always the best, at least in our perception, at being family for one another, right? And so in my statement, I'm also calling myself and these people here with you to a higher standard of what it means to be family for one another. But I want you to act in courage, and I want you to act in vulnerability, and step out there, and be, maybe be a little bit weird, right? Like, weird is okay. Like, if you, if you show up and nobody invites you to lunch, why don't you just ask? I think people would love to take you, even if you ask. I mean, that would be awesome. Just, just start in a conversation with someone, even if they look like their circle's closed off, and say, hey, where are y'all going to lunch? That's great. Let's be family. I don't have one. Will you be my family? And I think there's so many people that would love to be that for you. I want you to do stuff is another prescription. And, and I want you to do a lot of stuff. And I'm not just talking about things that keep you busy. Things that keep you busy are good. But I want you to do stuff that God has specifically called you to do. Like Ephesians 4 stuff. You know, Ephesians 4 talks about some that are given to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These specific giftings that seem to be inside of you that God has just given you. Whatever those are, not just the babysitting ones, but these other things, you know, that you're really passionate about that seem to be, like, significant, those things. Do it. Do a lot of that stuff. And then I want you to focus more on the first part of Psalm 37.4, the part A, rather than the part B. It's real easy to start to think about the desires of our heart, and I do this from the waiting room more than my delight in the Lord. Focus on delight in the Lord, and then just see what happens. Test him a little bit. Experiment. See where that takes you. So, one more time, I want you to listen to the voice that says, you are my child. And being single is a blessed place to be. Not because of your circumstances, but because of my love for you. I want you to let church be your family. I want you to do stuff, Ephesians 4 stuff, and then focus more on delight in the Lord rather than the desires of your heart. Can I pray that we all, all of us, do more of that, regardless of the circumstances that we find us in? And I think that's going to lead us to a beautiful place in our discovery of who God creates us to be as sexual beings and also who he wants us to be as his children. God, we're thankful for this night that you've given us to share in your word. We're thankful for teachings that are difficult, that sometimes we don't understand, that not all of us can receive. Uh, God, we pray tonight specifically that if there are some in this room who are called to be single for the sake of the kingdom, we pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to act in that, recognizing that it's from you. God, I just pray these things that I've, I've talked about, uh, that we would, from the waiting room, listen to your voice and recognize that a complete life is not because of who we are, it's not because of what we've done, but it's because of what you've said to us. God, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear that voice alone. God, I pray that we would all do a better job of letting the church be our family, especially those of us that have families in church. Uh, I just pray that we could be known 
for the ways that we love one another. God, I pray that you would help us to do the stuff that you've specifically called each one of us to do in you. I pray that whether that's being an apostle or a prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, whatever specific roles you put inside of us, help us to live into those. Help us to be courageous enough to invite the church to allow us to do those things uh, that you've called us to. God, I, I pray that you would allow us to pursue you and enjoy you and delight in you so far more than we ever, ever think about or ask for the desires of our heart. God, we just pray that you, you fully have our attention. In the name of Jesus, amen.